0: Starting with verse 26 I guess if I had chapter 4 instead of chapter 5 it would say what it's supposed to say okay Uh, mark chapter 4 beginning with verse 26 Jesus is speaking and he says this is what the kingdom of God is like a man scatters seed on the ground night and day whether he sleeps or gets up the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel kernel on the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And eventually, I will tie that into Father's Day, okay? A uh, doting father that I read about used to sing to his little children to get them to sleep. Uh, when the first little girl was born, he started doing that to help mom out. He took care of putting the little girl to bed and he sang until she fell asleep. second child came along and he continued doing this until one night he heard his four-year-old daughter say to her younger sibling, if you shut your eyes and pretend to be asleep, he'll stop singing. <laughs> uh, well, sometimes fathers don't get the credit they deserve. I remember as a kid, we used to have television programs like Ozzy and Harriet and Father Knows Best and and then uh, Leave it to Beaver. I was a little older. I wasn't a kid when that came on. But there were fathers who always seemed to know the right thing to say and do the right thing, and, and they were honored and respected. Most programs today, and I don't know that I even watch any of them, but I understand that most of them today make the fathers look like bumbling fools who always mess everything up. Uh, fathers in this country are not held with the respect they once were, and they should be. Uh, Garrison Keller on the uh, National Public Radio reminds us that in 1909, a young lady was sitting in church on Mother's Day and heard the pastor deliver this great sermon about mothers. And she went to him afterwards and said, you know, my mother died when I was born, and my father raised me and the three children that came before me all by himself. Why don't we have a Father's Day? And the pastor said, well, when's your father's birthday? And she told him, and that Sunday was Father's Day in that church. And a few other churches heard about it and thought, oh, well, that's a good idea. We honor mothers, we ought to honor fathers. So it started to spread. And Father's Day eventually, became a national holiday. Well, when I say eventually, I mean quite a while later. Mother's Day became a nationally recognized holiday in 1914, Father's Day in 1972. So we've got a lot of years to catch up there on honoring fathers on Father's Day, and I'll try to do it this morning, but I promise I'll have you out of here by one o'clock. I absolutely promise that. Well, and Mark, Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. Now he's not talking about fatherhood, but isn't this the very first area in which we participate in the coming of God's kingdom on earth? It's raising our children. Raising good children is like scattering seed upon the ground. As author Ken Canfield notes, there are no guarantees in either one, raising children or planting seed. James, you have quite a garden in your yard. Are you positive that every seed you've planted has come to fruition? No, it just doesn't happen, does it? Uh, You scatter a lot and hope that some comes up. Had a young man plant, uh, renting an apartment from us years ago when we tried to rent an apartment. And uh, there wasn't much grass there. And he said, "If you buy the seed, I'll take care of it." Well, a few days later, I went over, and he said, "I need more seed." I said, "Okay." He said, "You know what I did?" I said, "No." What did you do? He said, "Well, being a preacher, I think this is a scripture verse that I can quote to you." I said, "Okay, what is it?" He said, "I hold more than I could sow." I said, well, (laughs) I'm not sure that's scripture. But he had the idea. He prepared the soil and he ran out of seed. And sometimes I think in raising children, we can prepare the soil, but we're not sure there's enough seed there. And we're not sure it's going to take root. We don't know how it's going to grow. Putting seed in the ground doesn't guarantee a crop. And there's no guarantees in raising children. Some of you perhaps, and I don't know, Any of you well enough to know your family stories, but some of you perhaps have children who are not following the way that you would want them to. I know we do. (laughs) And it hurts, doesn't it? You've planted the seed right. You've taught them right. You've done all you can, and yet God gave them a free will. And they often go their own way. Well, one thing I want us to learn this morning is that fathers are important. Dad being around makes a real difference. I don't know if you ever read the Washington Post, Uh, I don't, (laughs) but I did find this story that was in the Washington Post, written by a man named uh, Raspberry. He tells that a few years before he wrote the article, at Kruger National Park in South Africa, they discovered they had way too many elephants. The the park just wasn't large enough to sustain all of their lives. So they decided they would take a lot of the young male elephants and move them to a nearby game resort, or reserve, and they took all male, figuring that way there wouldn't be any more reproduction of elephants, so they could keep the herd a size they could manage. Well, a little while went by, and these little baby male elephants became teenage elephants, and as they watched them, they saw these young adult or adolescent elephants picking up sticks and stones in their trunk and throwing them at the white rhinoceroses, which are a endangered species. And the rhinoceroses, I'm going to call them rhinos, that's easier, the rhinos would start to run, and the elephants would chase them. Well, rhinos don't have the uh, endurance that elephants do, so soon the rhinos would fall down. And these elephants would go over and stomp them to death. That, well, we've got to stop this because that's an endangered species. They had killed almost a tenth of the rhino herd before they realized what was happening. So they decided the only recourse they had was to kill the worst offenders of the elephants. They put down five of them. When one of the men, who wasn't one of the zoologists, just a caretaker, uh, groundskeeper, said, why don't we bring some of the older male elephants over, because they don't attack the rhinos, and maybe the younger ones will follow their example. They thought, well, it's worth a try, so they brought some of the older adult male elephants over. And sure enough, as the younger ones started to throw sticks and stones, the older elephants went over with their trunks and slapped them and if they started to chase the rhinos, they bellowed at them and made them stop. And in just a few days, these younger elephants were no longer harassing the rhinos. Now, Raspberry wrote this story, he says, to point out to us that children, whether they're elephants or humans, do better with the father around for discipline. My first church Well, it was very, very small when I got there and we started to grow, and it was in a a kind of an unusual neighborhood. One side of the street were all Polish immigrant families, and the other side were uh, African American families. And we got both coming to church. They had not much to get, uh, didn't get along very well except in church. But then along came our federal government who decided to help. As Ronald Reagan said, the scariest words in the English language is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Well, they passed a law giving aid to families of dependent children. I don't know what it's, I think it's called TANF now, but then it was called AFDC. And the, especially in the African American families, they realized that the government would give the family a better lifestyle financially if the father was gone. So the father left the home. And we had a tremendous rise in gang warfare and in crime. My church was kind of devastated because we lost all the male leadership. But the government helped. Now, truly, they did have more money to spend, but they didn't have any discipline and the whole neighborhood depreciated so much that people were moving out because they couldn't live there because the fathers were gone. Fathers are important. And fathers can do wonders in the lives of their children. Now many of us observed perhaps in our own families that a conscientious dad can have a wondrous impact on his offspring. In uh, 1985, Tim Burke saw his boyhead dream come true. He signed a contract to pitch for the Montreal Expos. After four years in the minors, he was finally given a chance to play in the big leagues, and he was excited, and he moved quickly to prove that he was worth what they were paying him. He set a record for the most relief appearances by any rookie player. Along the way, however, Tim and his wife Christine had adopted four children with very special needs. Two daughters from South Korea, handicapped son from Guatemala, and another son from Vietnam. And all of the children were born with very serious illnesses and defects. Now neither Tim nor Christine was prepared for the tremendous demands such a family would bring. And with a grueling schedule of the Major League Baseball, Tim was seldom around to help. So in 1993, three months after signing a $600,000 a year contract, and back in 1993, that was a lot of money, uh, he'd signed a contract with the Cincinnati Reds. Three months later, he announced he was retiring from baseball, giving up all that money. The press reporters asked him to explain his decision, and this is how he answered. Baseball will do just fine without me, but I'm the only father my children have. thought well, that was a great statement. And of course, you don't have to be a sports hero to be a great dad. There are men all over this world who are seeking to model what it means to be a Christian dad. First Sunday we came here, Uh, We decided we liked it because most of you were friendly, some of you not so much, but most of you were friendly. You made us feel welcome. We thought we liked this place. The pastor didn't preach that Sunday. You had a video of the general superintendent, I don't know, I think maybe that was three years ago. I don't know if you remember it. We thought, well, the general superintendent was pretty good, so we'll go back and give the pastor a chance. And I don't know if you know this, but we're very lucky. Pastor Bender is really a good preacher. You, you know that, okay. I mean, I don't know of anyone who can come up with alliterations as well as he does. I've done pretty well this morning. I don't know if you noticed, we had scripture, singing, supplication, special music, and sermon. That's five, you know, I've done pretty well. But anyway, we came back because you were friendly, we came back after that because we liked the pastor's preaching. And I admire his musical ability. I just like the guy, I don't know. But what I admire most about him is his role as a father. Uh, it's gotta be a hard role to fill. I don't know if you've noticed, but when the three kids sing, little Noah usually stands here, and every once in a while he looks up at his dad, his dad will go, And then he smiles, this great big smile. Uh, Not so much now that he's older, but when he first came, he always looked to his dad for reassurance. But I admire Pastor Bender's role as a father. Uh, I suppose any father would do their best under the difficult circumstances he has, but he does an excellent job, I think. And there are other fathers. In 1994... The Hitu militants began a brutal assault against their Tutsi neighbors. There was a hotel manager uh, managing a a hotel in Rwanda. His first name is Paul, and I'm not even gonna start to pronounce his 17-letter last name, so we'll just call him Paul. The uh, Hitu's killed more than a million of their neighboring uh, Tutsi relatives, really. In the midst of this slaughter, over 1,200 desperate people sought refuge in Paul's hotel. And every day for several months, armed troops would come to the hotel and try to get in, and Paul, with no weapons, wouldn't let them in. He withstood their assaults. And eventually the uprising ended, and Paul had saved the lives of 1,200 people. When asked how he was brave enough to do that, how was he able, unarmed, to withstand these large armed troops, he said, my father always told me, do the right thing, even if it costs you your life. And that incident, I, later, I never saw it, but I understand Hollywood made it into a movie called the Hotel Rwanda. And Paul was honored for that. A great dad has great influence. Not so do moms, but this is Father's Day, so we're not going to talk about moms. You had your day last month. And uh, so it's just dads Day. Great dads can have a great influence. A conscientious father can do wonders in the lives of their children. There's no guarantees, but they can do their best and pray for their children. And of course, the love of any parent is but a pale reflection of the love of God. In his book called Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey relates a touching story from his own life. I don't know if you know Philip Yancey. He's one of the most prominent Christian writers in, in our era. But he says uh, his father died before he, was eight, uh, before he was a year old. And after he was grown up, he spent some time with his mother. And one day they were going through old pictures. And he found this picture of himself. It was all crumpled up and wrinkled. And he said to his mother, Why in the world are you holding on to this picture? you got others of me at that same age that are in good condition. And she said, Well, Your father was in an iron lung. Some of us are old enough to remember the pictures of people in iron lungs. Uh, Some of you have no idea what it is, but uh, people who had polio were put in this huge circular piece of equipment which kept them breathing. She said, your father was in that iron lung and he wanted pictures of you and your brother. So I took them up there and she said, They wouldn't allow me to tape them to the iron lung, so I kind of crinkled them between the knobs above his head. And he couldn't move, he couldn't turn his head, he could only open his eyes and close them. But for the last six months of his life, all he did was look at the picture of you and your brother and prayed for you that you would grow up to be Christian men. Yancey said that he'd never seen that picture before, and never seen that, heard that story before. But seeing that picture all crumbled up and knowing that for months his father was praying for him just before he passed away. He said, touch me like nothing else had ever touched me. He said, I have no memories of my father. I have no emotional attachment to him because I never saw him, never touched him. He never touched me. But the spiritual impact of knowing that he spent the last days of his life praying for me Impacted me more than anything in my life has ever done I often think of that crumpled photo he writes For it's the only link I have to this stranger who was my father And one day in a college dorm room when somebody introduced me to my heavenly father I Realized that I had a father who loved me that I never knew and I had a heavenly father who loved me more? He said it was a starting, startling feeling. It gave me wild hope, so much so that I decided to risk my life serving that God who loved me. Uh, I have another uh, alliteration here, uh, substitute. I had planned for the youth group to sing a song to end this sermon. And it didn't work out because one Sunday when we were going to practice, they decided to run off to Colorado. I don't know how they could think that was more important than practicing a song that I wanted them to sing. But Brett took them out there. And then the next week, when we could have practiced, Pam decided we had to go up to Minnesota for a grandson's graduation. So we didn't practice then either. So I'm going to tell one more story, which is also part of the alliteration. Then Pam and I are going to sing the song I wanted the youth choir to sing, so we're substitutes. I've really been good with the alliteration this morning. I, make sure you tell the pastor that, will you? Uh, make sure he knows that I've. At any rate, I wasn't going to use the song. I decided, well, they can't sing it, so I just won't use it. And uh, I was going to end the sermon with Nancy's story, but something happened to me this last Tuesday that I want to share with you. <clears throat> uh, it really touched me. I hope it touches you. And then we're going to sing this song, which is a conclusion to the story. I get up every morning and drive, uh, pick up about 24 men from a local uh, Department of Corrections facility. They're on work release. I drive them to the factory where they work and then in the afternoon I pick them up and drive them back. They are inmates. <laughs> uh, try to describe them nicely. The majority of them no only one adjective and it starts with the letter F. Most of them have no stories to tell except those that would make anyone blush. As one of them, one of this one who's really a nice guy, and one day after all the others got out, he said, John, I hope you understand that the way you survive in prison is to prove you're meaner, rougher, tougher than anybody else. And that's what they're doing. He said, Just kind of ignore them. They can't help it. They have to be that way. Well they Maybe obnoxious is a good word. I don't know. Uh, but one one day, Tuesday, in fact, I was driving them to work, and we take Hefner Road between I-35 and Bryant. I don't know if you've been on that stretch of road, but it's a two-lane, winding, curving, hilly road. And I go slow there. The speed limit's 45, but I go slow because I've seen deer there several times. Tuesday morning, I was going slow. I came up over a hill, and right at the bottom of the hill was a little fawn at first i thought it was a dog it was so small and the men started hollering stop stop don't hit it it's a baby don't hit it stop go in the ditch if you have to well i was going slow i was able to stop but as deer are prone to do it froze in the headlights and i remember way back at driver's ed they said if a deer gets in your headlights turn off your lights and it'll run so i turned off the lights and this poor little fawn kind of very wobbly wobbled across the road or down into the ditch and up into the woods. One of the men said, boy, he's so tiny. Oh, wasn't he cute? Little deer are so cute. I just love them. Another one said, sure hope his mom is there waiting for him because he's too young to be on his own. And for several minutes they talked about the cuteness of this deer and worried about its welfare. I would have expected them when they saw the deer to stop chanting, Hit it, hit it, hit it. That's really what I expected because that's the way they usually are. Well, a little bit later, one of the men said to the guy sitting next to him, Why do you have tears in your eye? We didn't hit the deer. He said, I was just thinking as all this talk about that poor deer, about my poor kids. I abandoned them. I'm here and they're out there. And another one said, Yeah. Well, at least yours are with their mother. Their mother and I went to prison at the same time. My kids are in foster care. I don't even know where they are. Another one, I've got a son I've never seen because he was born two months after I was locked up. And another one, my son's the first one in our family to ever graduate from high school and I couldn't go to his graduation last month. And for the next 15 minutes, They spent talking about their children in a very loving, kind, tender, gentle way. It was as if when I stopped so I didn't hit the deer, the doors opened and the 12 men who were in there got out and another 12 got in. Total change. And that reminded me of this song. and and, uh, Well, it didn't remind me of it because I'd already planned to use it. But I decided... Maybe this song will touch somebody's heart. I hope that story did. I realized that no one, well, I've known this all my life, but it came back to me stronger. No one is beyond redemption. No one. And uh, often when I'm with these guys, I think, oh, I've got to quit this job. I can't stand them any longer. And God brings to my mind every time I think that, a chorus that we sang when I was a kid, the words are, just where he needs me, my Lord has placed me, and where he's placed me, there would I be, for since he's found me, by love he's bound me to serve him joyfully. And I say, God, I don't know why you've put me here. I don't see any way I can reach these men because I never get to talk to them individually. It's always the whole mob. But you've placed me here. I'll stay here. And uh, anyway, that's watching those transformation in those men for that few minutes just really touched my heart and, and I decided to use the song even though the youth choir isn't here to sing it. And hope you'll forgive my uh, putting us on the program. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so dense I can never get these on.
1: <laughs> if you Human hearts are often tender, and human minds can pity no. If human love is touched with splendor, and human hands compassion show. Father's tears, tears attend, attend to dry. To dry. Then and how much, much more? more shall-